Please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. The uh, previously planned schedule was to go and dip into chapter 9, but we're not going to do that this morning. <clears throat> this morning we'll be in Isaiah 7 and 8, and Lord willing, get to 9 and 10 next week. I've entitled this message, Faith or Frenzy? I'll read the text as we go, but just to kind of get our mind in the right spot, kind of see where we're going, we'll read verses 7, or sorry, chapter 7, 1 through 9. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit, the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear, do not let your heart be faint, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Faith or frenzy. I wonder if you've heard about what Russia and China are planning. I wonder if you've heard about what the governor of Arizona is proposing. I wonder if you've heard about the person who calls you a friend and what they've been saying to other people about you. All three of those things can already start to get your heart frenzied, nervous, anxious, fearful, trembling. The question in this section of Scripture, section of Isaiah is, Will you look at bad and difficult news and be frenzied by it or have faith in the God who is near to you and who's also sovereign? Judah, the king of Judah, the people of Judah are shaking like trees in this passage. They're fearful of what other nations are planning to do to them. And God, in this passage, presses His people to trust in Him. Most won't, but some will. In this passage, we'll see a three-part account of frenzy in some cases and faith in other cases. So you're going to see two groups of people responding to challenges. You're going to see a frenzied people, and you're going to see a people who trust. So we'll go through it in three steps, three stages. First, we'll notice a decision to make. The king of Judah has a decision to make. And we'll think of our own hearts. We've got a decision to make whenever bad news is on the horizon or right in front of us. Frenzy or faith. So a decision to make. Secondly, we'll see a judgment to come. And finally, most encouraging, a remnant with faith. We'll notice how the faithful, the trusting in the Lord, respond to challenges. So first, a decision to make. Israel and Syria, <clears throat> two nations to the north of Judah, are planning to come all the way to Jerusalem and take over. They've already been gaining success. They've joined together gain success in overthrowing certain cities of Judah, and they're coming to the heart of Judah, Jerusalem. 
where God dwells with his people, and they're threatening to attack Jerusalem. That's the context here. The nations are preparing to invade Jerusalem, and King Ahaz has a decision to make. What will your heart do? Verse 1, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. So there's one character, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, God's people, the ones Isaiah is prophesying to. And then there's another character, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. So you've got the king of Syria joining with the king of Israel to wage war against Judah. And so Isaiah is challenging the king of Judah and the people of Judah to trust in the Lord and to not fear these two kings that are about to come after them. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim or Israel, Syria is joining with Israel to come against us. When the house of David was told that, when the king and his family were told that, the heart of Ahaz and the people of and his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. Their hearts shook like ours often shake to difficult news, to threatening news, to challenging news. Verse 3, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son. So he tells Isaiah the prophet, I've got a message for the king, go out to see the king, bring your son with you. Why would he bring his son? And why would we know the name of Isaiah's son? Because his son's name means a remnant shall return. So God tells Isaiah, hey, you go out, give a message to King Ahaz, and bring your son, a remnant shall return. Introduce him to the king by name. So Isaiah is saying, King Ahaz, here's my son, a remnant shall return, which tells us two things. The people of Judah will be exiled. That's bad news. And Ahaz needs needs to know that. But it tells us something else, doesn't it? The good news. But a remnant will return to Jerusalem. So it's as if God's saying, Isaiah, go out, bring your son, give King Ahaz bad news, and give him good news. And notice where Isaiah is supposed to have this meeting, not at a coffee shop, not at the gates of the city, but go out to the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Why would that be important? Because at this point in Israel's history, in Jerusalem's history, I should say, their water supply came from the outside overground into the city. So if you wanted to attack Jerusalem, you would attack the water supply. This location right here. That's where Ahaz is. He's looking, trying to guard the water supply. Because if that goes down, they go down. And so God sends Isaiah and his son to send a message to the king there in that crucial spot. Go and tell him, by bringing your son, a remnant will return. Yes, there will be suffering. There will be discipline on God's people. But there will be a remnant that he'll bring back. Verse 4, say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. What would you think if you're the king of Judah? Would those be easy words to obey? I hear the rumbling of the horses coming. I'm nervous about this water supply being threatened. They're stronger than we are put together. They've already taken some of our territory, and now they're coming here. And God himself saying, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. Why? Why could God say that? Because God knew what he was going to do with these two nations. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, they're about to be extinguished. So don't be afraid. At the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim, Israel, 
And the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let's go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. It, it, God's saying, Don't worry. They're about to be extinguished. I know right now they're saying, let's go have our way with Jerusalem. Let's take out the Davidic king, which the people of God held on to because that's what God had promised. The line of David would always have a king in his family from him. But now these two strong nations want to overthrow us and put their own king in. We're in trouble. And God says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear do not let your heart be faint. Verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim or Israel will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. God's telling Ahaz, these two nations will come down. So be firm in faith. Because that's all you have. If you're not firm in faith, faith in God, you have nothing. You won't be firm. Firm, the idea of being steadfast, rooted, grounded, strong. If your faith isn't in God, even while looking at the threats around you, there's no firmness to you at all. Your heart's shaking like trees. That's the opposite of firm. If you want to be fixed, steadfast, you must trust in the sovereign power of God and the fact that He cares for His people. You must trust Him. And that's what Ahaz is being told to do. Verse 10, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ask me to prove it to you. Now, we know from Scripture that you should not put God to the test. He gives you enough information to go on and you say, I need a little bit more info. Do not do that. But this is God saying, I want you to ask me for a sign. Ahaz all of a sudden becomes pious. I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test, but I will continue shaking in my boots. Sounds good. It's not. The Lord wanted him to ask for a sign, and the Lord would give it. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? This is Isaiah saying, oh, come on, Ahaz. That answer makes me tired. Uh, You're tiring your people out. You're tiring God out. He's offering to give you a sign. Come on, Ahaz. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. God's going to give you a sign. What's the sign? Behold, pay attention to this. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That launches us forward over 700 years. Isaiah says, you want to know that God will continue caring for his people? There's going to be a girl one day. She's not going to know a man, yet she's going to bear a child, and that child will be known as God is with us. That's Isaiah on behalf of God showing King Ahaz, you can trust this God. You don't need to keep shaking. It's interesting. Derek Kidner says that Ahaz is looking to armies as a solution, yet God looks to a child to complete and fulfill his purposes. You can trust the Lord even when it doesn't look like there's a victory because the Lord's ways are not the world's ways. It's not with military might that he's going to accomplish all of this. It's going to be with a child that comes one day. And so 
we know that that is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus, Matthew 1.25. How do you know that God's with His people? Matthew, a book written to the people of Israel to believe that Jesus is their Messiah. And it starts by saying, here He is, the, the promised one from Isaiah chapter 8. Here He is. So, Ahaz is meant to trust in, hope in a future prophecy that's going to come. Verse 15, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So there's evidently a more near fulfillment to this prophecy for King Ahaz. There's a far fulfillment of the Lord Jesus Christ in his reign, but there's a near fulfillment that there's going to also be a son born in his time, in his day, Ahaz's time, Ahaz's day, who's going to grow up and before he gets fully mature and knows right and wrong and everything about life, before he gets to that age, these two kings are going to come down. So this is the near fulfillment part where Ahaz is told, listen, look for this kid who's not even going to be fully mature yet, and in that time, even in that time, these nations will come down. So there's a far prophecy to hold on to, and there's also a near prophecy to hold on to. Verse 17, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And here's what the Lord's going to bring, the king of Assyria. So here's what's happening. Ahaz is terrified. The Lord says, listen, there will be a son born soon, and by the time he's old enough to be mature, just within even that span, these two nations will come down. But as you are not trusting in me, you will also have a certain discipline that comes to you and the people. That's what he's saying. And then for the first time in the book of Isaiah, he names that arm of discipline, the king of Assyria. These nations who are threatening you are going to be destroyed, but you're also going to be disciplined by the king of Assyria. This is God prophesying this before it happened, and it actually happened. So, we start off 7, 1 to 17 with a decision to make. It's Ahaz's decision. When everything around you looks like there's no hope, where will your heart go? Will it shake like the trees in the forest? Or will you trust in what God has said? You may be in a position where you're literally waiting for a diagnosis to come as to what's been ailing you. You may be fearing what that diagnosis could be. You may be fearing November. Not Thanksgiving with your family, I'm talking about the election. <clears throat> you might be fearing both. Makes sense. What will November hold? You might be fearful of what your spouse's actions might do to your family. You might fear what will happen to your kids. You might fear right now if there's going to be enough money. Here's the question. What do you know about your God? What do you know about Him? There may be extreme hardship, but God gave us Jesus Christ, who is God with us. Notice here, there's a lot of comfort to take in God's sovereignty. He predicts Assyria to do what they're going to do before they do it. There's comfort to take there. God knows what's going to happen. I'm trusting in a sovereign God. But notice also the nearness of God for His people. He's not just big and in charge. He is. We praise Him for that. But He's also near. He comes to dwell with His people. That's the beauty of Jesus' incarnation. So, how does that affect 
my bank account? How does that affect the diagnosis that's coming? How does that affect November? God's in charge and He cares for His own. That's where to rest. That's where to rest. It's striking how threats can often become the lenses through. We see everything through. I'm, there's this happening, this happening. I'm scared. But notice what's repeated even in these first 17 verses. The Lord said, verse 3, thus says the Lord God, verse 7, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and then He promises that He'll dwell with His people. We need to be hearing the Word of God more than just on Sunday morning. We've got to be hearing it, meditating on it, listening to it, being reminded of it, being taught it. We've got to hear the Word of the Lord because if not, we're going to let all the threats govern our thinking. So be aware that we can be tempted to fear the worst possible outcomes. If this happens, then this, 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 this happens. Well, maybe, maybe not. And if those things do all end up happening and the worst happens, if you are God's, He's in charge and He's among you. He cares. Rest there. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. So this passage starts with the decision to make, and now moves to describe a judgment to come. Ahaz, spoiler alert, decides wrongly. He remains fearful. You can actually read about this <clears throat> in Second Chronicles. He, Ahaz, turns to Assyria to help him against Israel and Syria. So he turns to this superpower that God says, they're going to destroy these two nations. They're also going to come and have their way with you. And instead of Ahaz saying, okay, I trust you, Lord, he says, eh, but I think they'll work with me. And that's what Ahaz ends up doing. Well, that brings discipline to him, to God's people. And so in verses from 7.18 to 8.8, we learn about a judgment to come. Since Ahaz chooses to trust Assyria, discipline will come to God's people. In that day, you'll hear four in that days, God laying out what the judgment will look like. In that day, Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt so it won't just be Assyria that comes and threatens Judah. Egypt will come also. The Lord's whistling for them like you would whistle for a dog to come to you. The Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come and settle in the steep ravines, in the clefts of the rocks and on the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. The people of Judah will look around soon and say, Egypt and Assyria are everywhere. That's what that's saying. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river, Assyria, with the king of Assyria, the head of their, their hair, um, sorry, the head and the hair of their feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. So Assyria is going to come and ransack Judah. It'll be as if the people of Judah's clothes are all gone and their hair is all gone. They're left with nothing. That's the picture. In that day, there's more, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who's left in the land will eat curds and honey. So the, the standard of living will be brought so low that a person with a young cow and two sheep will have plenty. The, the, Everyone has so little that a person just with those animals will be seen to have plenty. There's a little sign here of God's grace, though, for the people that remain. They will have what they need, but not like before. In that day, he continues, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for the land will be briars and thorns. As for the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of the briars and thorns. 
They'll become a place where cattle are let loose, where sheep tread. So once rich farmland that produced grapes, there were vineyards, there, there was land to be taken care of. There will be such briars and thorns that you won't even try anymore. This land that used to produce fruit isn't producing anything. Why? Because you didn't trust in the Lord. You looked elsewhere. That never works. Never. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Then the Lord said to me, Isaiah, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Meher Shalal Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jerobekiah, to attest for me. So, God says, Isaiah, I want you to write a boy's name really big and really clear because I want people to read this. I want Ahaz to read this. Write this boy's name down. Verse 3, and I went to the prophetess. This is Isaiah going to his wife. I went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So he's been, starting in 718, saying, this is what's going to happen to your land. It's not going to be pretty. You've, you've stopped trusting in me. But Isaiah, you're going to have another son. I want you to write his name in very big letters so everyone can hear. So the question is, what does this name mean? Here's what the name means. Meher Shalal Hashbaz means speed, spoil, haste, plunder. Israel and Syria are going down quickly. It's happening soon. You've just had a child. He's not going to be very old. And it's going to happen. They're going to go down. Verse 5, Lord spoke to me again. Because this people, Israel, now he's talking about Israel, not Judah. He's talking about those people that are coming after Judah. Because this people, Israel, who are joining with Syria, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flowed gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Ramalia, therefore behold, the Lord is bringing against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory. Here's what this is saying. Again, Isaiah is mainly prophesying to the people of Judah, the king of Judah, saying, trust in the Lord, don't look elsewhere. Now, one of those nations threatening you, Israel, the northern kingdom, they are not trusting in the God of Jerusalem. They are looking to Syria to help them survive against Assyria. So again, Assyria, the big threat, threatens Israel and Syria, okay? Israel should say, no, 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 we're with the people of Judah. We trust in God. But they don't say that. They trust in their political alliances to keep Assyria at bay. So this is God saying, they've refused the waters that flowed gently. They refused to trust in the God of Jerusalem. The God of Jerusalem, he provides gently if you would just trust. But they refuse that. And they rejoice over their political alliances. Therefore, I'm bringing a river against them, a torrent. They're going to be washed away. God's offered gently flowing river if they would trust his words, but they won't. So they need to get ready for the torrent. It's going to wipe them away. Who is the river? Who's the torrent? Assyria the superpower. And, continuing in verse 7, it will rise over its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. So this is God saying, listen, Israel is going to be drowned. Syria is going to be drowned by Assyria. And that water is actually going to come up to you, Ahaz, to your territories, to Judah, and it's going to start drowning you. 
It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. Not over the neck. Reaching to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Now that's all bad news. It's going to drown them. It's going to almost drown you, Ahaz, and your people. Almost. And then he calls Judah this name. Let's start in 8 again. 8-8. It will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O God, with us. A little promise there. You won't be drowned entirely because God is with you. Your enemies will be wiped out. You will think, oh my goodness, we are wiped out. We're up to our neck. Yeah, but your your head is not underwater yet because you are God with us. He's with you. It's a beautiful picture. This is the second time the idea of God being with them is meant to encourage them meant to motivate them, meant to give them a hope that they can trust in their God. So, there's a judgment to come. God's enemies will be judged and God's own people will be disciplined, but not totally wiped away, not totally drowned. What do we learn from this? All ungodly threats, all The plans of Satan, all of them, will be one day destroyed. All corrupt politicians, all evil politicians, all people who harm the people of God, they will all perish. God will do justice. All be destroyed. All of them. And the people of God might even be caught up in some of the discipline They might be disciplined for not trusting the Lord themselves. But at the end of the day, those who trust in God will always have God with them. He's always there with them. Third part of our passage. This is the most encouraging. There's going to be a remnant who do have faith. This is beautiful. I'd encourage you... (laughs) as I always do, to spend time with us tomorrow. Now that you know what the passage is saying, now take time thinking through it for yourself. And really focus on 8, 8 to 22. This is a remnant with faith. 8, 8 to 22 is a description of how those with faith live even in the most dire of circumstances. Verses 9 to 10, we learn that they speak truth to God's enemies. Notice the faithful. This is what the faithful are saying to God's enemies. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Hey, listen, I'm a faithful one in Judah, or today. I'm a Christian. God is with me. Listen, Israel. Listen, Syria. Listen, Assyria. Listen, Egypt. Be broken, you peoples. Be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor. Do your best and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together. Form a group of nations to war against God's people. Go ahead. I'll sit here and wait. Gather together. Write your legislation. Do your best. Enact your evil laws, propagate your evil culture, take your social media, do what you will with it. Go ahead, do it all. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, tell us what you're going to do. But it will not stand. Why? For God is with us. Why? Why will they not be able to ultimately overcome God's people because Emmanuel, because God's with us, not with them. He's with us. This is a beautiful picture. This is how you watch the news. 
Normally we watch the news and go, oh my goodness. Do you see all this going on? Are you as worried as I am? Please be as worried as I am. Let's freak out together. That's how we watch the news. Here's how we watch the news. It's not going to work. Putin, legislature, abusers, it's not going to work. God's with us. You'll see one day. You'll see. Here's how the remnant also operates. I'll call verse 11 through 15, they don't freak out. Verses 11 to 15. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. So Isaiah is saying, the Lord put his strong hand upon me as if to say, listen, Isaiah, you respond differently than they're all responding. The Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. God's telling Isaiah not to think like the professing people of God that are freaking out. They're calling things conspiracy. They're dreading. They're fearful of everything. Isaiah, heavy hand, do not be afraid of all that they're afraid of. This is a good word for us. But then this, this is how Isaiah is supposed to respond. This is how the remnant responds. But the Lord of hosts It's a strong name. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. I love this. Just last week we looked at Isaiah 6, right? King Uzziah is dead. Oh no, what's going to happen to Judah? I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. And the seraphim are singing to each other, holy, holy, holy. And that's what God is telling Isaiah to remember. Listen, you're looking at the threats all around you, the geopolitical threats. You're looking at all the things that trouble you, and you're going down deep in your focus on those. You see a headline about what's going on, and then you go and spend five hours looking into, is that going to happen? Is it, is it happening here? Does this person know what's happening? What's going on? The more you do that, the less you are looking up to the God who is high and lifted up and in charge. You've got a choice with your time. You've got a choice. Now, God's already said there are going to be hard things that come. The water is going to be up to your neck. And so just know hardship will come. Did you know this was happening in the world? Yeah, I heard about that. Spend time, spend hours with me researching that. No, thanks. No. The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. But to some, he'll become a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. So you can look at the problems in this world and you can say, I'm going to consider him. This is, friends, this is why we're reading Isaiah right now. This is why we're going through it this year. So that we would get in the practice of seeing the Lord as holy and honored, in charge, near to us, in charge of even hard things that happen to us, but near to us because He's our sanctuary. And when we look away from Him, He'll become a stone of stumbling. What that means is, I know God's supposed to be in charge. I know he's supposed to be near, but look at this threat. Oh my goodness, what's happening? We start stumbling over God. We start tripping over him because he's not who we thought he would be. Can't trust him because look at what he's doing. It's too hard. Is he even there? So it'll either be a sanctuary to us as we trust him or we'll stumble over him. What's he doing? Those are the options. And lest... Lest you think that, well, 
This is for the people of Judah in this time. When was this written? 730-something B.C.? That's a long time ago. I mean, these things aren't relevant today. Oh, friend, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. This is the most relevant thing we have. In fact, Peter cites these words when he talks to Roman Christians. So Jesus comes 700 years later, 730 years later. Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, dies for His people, rises again, ascends to the Father's throne and tells His people, now, while you're waiting for Me, go and make Me known. I'm the solution to all the problems. Tell people to trust in Me. Tell people that I will make them righteous. I will save them. Tell people that. And so, in the first century, the people of God… Are representing him, they're telling others about him, and the world doesn't like that. And the most powerful nation in the world, the most powerful man in the world, Nero himself, doesn't like that and starts persecuting Christians. And now the people of God, just like they were in Judah, the people of God are threatened with superpower coming against them. And so, 1 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 3 cite these verses. Listen to what 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17 says. This is so good. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, and then he quotes our passage here, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Be fixed on that. My God is unique. Nero's threatening. Sickness is threatening. Persecution's threatening. Legislatures are threatening. Enemies of God are threatening. In your hearts, honor Christ as high above all that. Bring your hearts there. Peter believes that the words written back to Judah and Ahaz a long time before are still relevant today on this side of the cross and tells the people of God, honor Christ as holy, high, lifted up, powerful, strong. Put your heart there. Even if someone is harming you, what harm are they if you're zealous for what's good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy. It's, it's beautiful. This is the same message to us today. Look at the threats, realize what's going to happen, and set your hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in our passage, <clears throat> as we wind up, 814 and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So again, you can either see him as your sanctuary or you can trip over the fact that he's not doing anything, I can't trust in him. Those are the two options. Many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They'll be snared and be taken. Again, the only place to go is to trust in Jesus Christ, to trust in God. Verse 16, God tells Isaiah, bind up the testimony. Write this down, finish the message, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I love this. He calls them his disciples. There's a remnant. Everyone's freaking out. There are enemies of God, there are people who profess to be God's people, but they're afraid of every enemy. But there is a remnant, and they are his disciples. They learn from him. You take this teaching, take this testimony to my disciples. What do the disciples of God, even in times of hardship, say? Verse 17, I will wait for the Lord. Beautiful picture. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. It's not easy right now. I'll wait for the Lord, and it's not easy to wait right now. 
He's hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. I'll hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. This is Isaiah saying, God's given me children. He's given me signs. He's told me what to name my kids for his purposes. I'm holding on to these kids that he's given me to send this message that he's in charge. He cares for his people. I'm holding on to that. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. So when the people of God, I put that in quotes, this isn't the remnant. These are the people that say they're the people of God, but they're going and listening to who other nations listen to. So now they're not just forming political alliances. Now they're going to fortune tellers and mediums. What's going to happen? Are we going to be okay? When they say, Isaiah, join us. Inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and muttered. Isaiah says this, should not a people inquire of their God? Shouldn't we go ask our God what he's going to do? Shouldn't we learn what he says about the future? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Should the people of God really go and try to find out from the dead what's going to happen? Or should we go to the living God? And then this, verse 20, it's as if Isaiah stands up, looks at the remnant of Judah, takes his kids and his wife and says, to the teaching and the testimony. Family, friends, to the Scriptures. That's what Isaiah is saying. The people of God are going to their podcasts, they're doing, going to the news, they're trying to figure everything out, they're scared, they're nervous, what are we going to do? To the testimony. It's beautiful. To the teaching, to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, if the professing people of God will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn, no light. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. You turn away from the word of God, spiritually speaking, you'll be greatly distressed and hungry. We can't do that. We can't turn away from his word. And when they are hungry, they'll be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. As people professing people of God, as they turn away from his word, they won't be satisfied. Remember, if they're not firm in faith, they won't be firm at all. They won't be satisfied. That won't alleviate their concern, their problems. And so they'll start to become angry at God and even his messengers. So people who don't turn to God's word in times of trouble will get angry at you when you remind them to turn to God's word. It's not working. You're just going to give me another another Bible verse. When they're hungry, they'll be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they'll turn their faces upward. That's That's not turning their face upward like, okay, God, help us. That's like, that's that. They'll turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth. God, what are you doing? And they'll continue looking for solutions down here. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust in the thick darkness. It will not bring light. It will not bring life. (coughs) It will not bring peace. It will not bring stability. The Word of God, His promises, His love, His nearness is the only thing to hold on to in dark days. I love what Motyer says. He says, faith is made for dark days. Trust in God is what you have in dark days. So the Lord has a remnant who are faithful. What do they look like? Well, they speak truth to God's enemies. They know what's going to happen to them. They don't freak out, right? Verses 11 to 15. And I think for us it's important to, to know this, to think about this. Friends, stop trying to scare each other. Stop doing that. 
have the promises of God on your lips. Instead of forwarding messages about the downfall of everything, forward the teaching of God and His testimony. We have to have God as holy and honored in our eyes. We have to have that. They speak truth to God's enemies. They don't freak out. They have the high and holy place of the Lord as their focus. And they wait in hope for His plan to unfold while they listen to Him. I will wait for the Lord, 17. I will hope in Him. And while I'm waiting, while I hope, to the teaching and the testimony. It's a beautiful picture. This is how we wait. We wait and hang on to His Word. I had a friend this week. We were in a group, and they posed the question, what would you do if everything started falling apart rapidly here? What would you do? The financial system comes down. The energy grid comes down. What would you do? It's a great question to think about. Frenzy or faith? I'm not saying there's not, an, there, there's not a time for activity and plans. I'm not saying that at all. We're saying that's just, that's not where we start. Where we start is Emmanuel. What would you do if the lights all went out, money system wasn't working? Emmanuel. What would you do if your kids were scared, if your spouse was scared, if your church was scared? Emmanuel. What would you do if people were trying to take your goods? How, how would you care for yourself? We'd start with Emmanuel. God is with us. There's a difference between us and the rest of the world. God is with us. The hymn writer said it well. When all around my hope gives way, he then is my, when all around my soul gives way, he then is my hope and stay. When all around my soul is giving way, he is my hope and my stay. Friends, Emmanuel, God is with us. Let's pray. Father, give us faith. Keep our hearts from shaking. Keep our hearts from frenzy. We know that you'll allow us to go through difficulty, but quickly draw our gaze up to you. You've put your son to death on our behalf. You've given your son for us. How will you not, therefore then, with him give us all things? We know that you care for us. May you be glorified in how we think about you. May you be glorified in how we think of our threats. Father, allow our church to be really good at trying to help one another see the holy God who is to be honored and trusted and thought upon. Help us in that. And as we do go through discipline and challenges, remind us of Emmanuel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.